Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep, quiet stories and meditations to help you find a little peace at bedtime or anytime. We're having what will most likely be our last weekend of warm temperatures here on the mountain. It's almost time to gather up the beach chairs by the swimming hole and start thinking about firewood. It's been so nice at the cabin here this week. After the rain we had last week, we've had some really beautiful weather with clear skies. Last night, it was warm enough that Bodie and I laid out behind the cabin under the stars and just watched the Milky Way for a little while. Some of you have been asking about the mindfulness courses that I've talked about leading online this winter, so I've started an email list to keep you up on everything that's happening with that. You can find a link to subscribe on the very top of the homepage at listentosleep.com. And if you do subscribe, you may also wind up being a part of the first group of people that I'll be chatting with on a Zoom to help make sure the courses and the community I'm setting up are going to be the best they can be. I want to thank the folks who joined the Patreon this week. Thank you, Heather, Abrian, Sharon, Alfred, and Katie. I really appreciate the support. If these sleepy stories help you, I would really appreciate your support to help keep the podcast going. And I've got some perks for you, too, like a free Alice in Wonderland audiobook read by yours truly. You get that when you subscribe to the ad-free version of the podcast for just 75 cents a week through the Patreon. For another 50 cents a week, you can also get an extra episode where I read a longer book serially. Right now, I'm reading Treasure Island, and those episodes come out on Wednesday nights. If you'd rather not have a monthly subscription, you can buy any of the sleepy classic audiobooks that I've read a la carte for just $5.50 on listentosleep.com. You'll get an MP3 download that you can share with family and friends. Or, if you'd like, you can just leave a tip, and you'll get an email with a couple of special surprises when you do that. I want to thank Phoebe for her tip last week. Your support, along with that of the advertisers, helps me continue to make two free episodes of Listen to Sleep every week to help folks all over the world get a little better sleep at night and a little more peace during the day. I've had a lot of requests lately to read another poem. I haven't done one since episode six, Goblin Market, and that is actually one of my personal favorite episodes. And I've been going on Instagram Live uh, to choose the story every week, and this week we chose a poem. It's from a book of Australian fairy tales. Let's take a deep breath. In and out. Letting go of the day, feeling the weight of gravity 
pulling you deep down into the mattress. Another deep breath in. And out. Nothing to do. Nowhere to go. No one to be. This is your time. Quiet time. And one more deep breath in. And out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. The Moon's Garden Party In the days before today, Ere the stars were made to stay, in the places where since then they shed their light. They, the children of the sky, full of fun but coy and shy, to the moon their mother came one happy summer night. Came they seeking right disposal of a sweet but strange proposal which was that to the earth they should be taken, and upon its sward so green meet the creatures they had seen, the sun with his spears each morning waken. Thus it was their eyes alight, round her knees they clustered tight, clement for the new delight. And the moon, dear Mother Moon, smilingly inclined her head, and in whispers softly said, We shall go there very soon, very soon. So, without a shred of doubt, it was thus it came about, that Her Majesty the Moon, in her silver gown and shoon, held a revel one high noon in a large and lovely garden with a lawn, and such a lawn. It was wide and smooth and ordered, and with shady trees t'was bordered all around. In the center there were beds full of plants, all greens and reds, and a lake that mirrored them till dawn. And about the lake so fair, there was wavy maiden hair that from out its rocky edges shyly grew. But above the mignonette, where the other blossoms met, there were whisperings of apprehensions new. And the flowers bathed in light seemed to tremble as with fright when the straying autumn breezes gently blew. For the fingers of the wind caught them plainfully behind, and in so doing shook their fragrance on the air, through it broadcast on the undulating air. 
Out behind the garden fences, through the paddocks, there commences the unbroken bushland prime. In its sheltering recesses, nature nurtures and caresses all that's native to this clime. And there man's ruthless usurpation stops, and peaceful occupation is conceded, unimpeded, to all who make it their abode or habitation. Yet this spot of earth primeval, with its denizens coeval, does not always peace contain. And the hushed and restless stillness oft is broken by the shrillness of some cry of fear or pain. Goshawks, gray or red or white, and the tense black-shouldered kite soar and strike the livelong day. And at night the marbled owl, swiftest of the night's hunting fowl, swoops upon its startled prey. Still, not all is black disaster. Death is fleet, but life is faster, and its numbers I or master death's invading arms. Or a gum tree lightning blasted, where once honeybees repasted. See the forest queen, her creamy mantle throw, or upon a bank of rubble, barely clothed with ferny stubble, watch the purple smilax dainty blossoms blow. Or again, where bottle brushes, peopled are by singing thrushes, from whose throats a chorus rushes, note the forest's charms. Now within the garden grand, a great summer house did stand, and its doors were very wide and extra high. For within it, tree ferns tall spread their fronds from wall to wall, and so thickly that they quite shut out the sky. Till the stars banked up with flowers, culled from all the aerial bowers, that behind the clouds are hid from mortal sight. And they then, with loving care, decked the whole with colors rare, brought to beauty by their own resplendent light. Viands, too, they brought and spread on a table that, with bread and all the delicatest dainties, was a gleam. This they did that guests to leave might ere going each receive from the hostess queen a gift on which to dream. In the meantime there was sent through the garden's wide extent a most kindly note to all who therein delve. To attend an evening fate when the moon in robes of state would receive and entertain them just at twelve. Then excitement grew intense, 
for a problem so immense had not ever met the garden folk before. How were they to meet the queen, who ere this had not been seen, save above them as a goddess to adore? Who among them all should lead? What new dresses would they need? Would they want an introduction, or just pass like the troops upon parade when a demonstration's made, and the king himself reviews them in the mass? These, and nicer questions all, at a conference or call, in discussion, were determined and agreed. So it fell that, at long last, all their worries overpassed, there was naught to do save gather and proceed. But talk about a clatter, speak about a row, why a black's corroboree or an Indian powwow are as nothing, simply nothing, to the rattle and the roar that all other sounds defied when the guests began to pour through the gate at a rate that a shepherd could not state if to count them he had tried. For like little Dolly Varden, all the dwellers in the garden, all the beetles and the other tiny things, all the spiders and the aphids with the kooka and the mavis come a-hopping and a-flopping on their little legs and wings. And the cries that are emitted made one think that they were fitted for a zoo, perhaps too, by the way they were carried on. But to silence all were bidden when from out the cornflowers hidden came a mantis with his hands outspread and high. And in tones that each could hear, full and round, yet sweet and clear, simply cried, stand aside. For the mower and his lady now draw nigh. Then to places all were hurried, some were late and some were flurried, but the marshal set them right. Marshal Spider, splendid rider, mounted on a magpie proud, set to order, quelled disorder, closed the lines, and kept the crowd. For the stakes to which the roses in the summertime were tied, with their sharp and pointed noses, stood the carriage drive beside. Each was held by some tall froggy, who upon a falcon black seemed to wish that it were foggy so that he might cool his back. But to duty they were bound, and not e'en so sweet a sound as the lapping of the wavelets on the lake could have caused them to forsake the especial posts to which they were assigned. There's the task to guard the drive, so that each one to arrive might not stray beyond the line 
of the driveway's broad incline, but would join with all the rest into proper order pressed in the way the marshal had designed. When at length in silence standing, in a voice of power commanding, spake the marshal to the rapt expectant throng, let each gallant pair be ready to advance in order steady when the mower and his lady move along. For the mower is our king, and behind him we will bring to her majesty the moon and to her court such a wealth of garden lore as may never, never more be attempted or projected in and thought. Scarcely had the marshal ended ere the mower's train extended, fell into its place and moved towards the lawn. First, of course, the heralds royal, clothed in all the colors loyal, gaudy butterflies with banner wings outspread. Next, the soldier ants, so sprightly, stepping gaily, straightly, lightly, with what seemed a most determined martial tread. Followed on the king's retainers, busy bees in brown and gold, then the bravos and maintainers, hardy beetles, brave and bold. After these, the knights and consuls, with their ladies fair and fine, all the birds that seek the garden when the golden wattles shine. In their midst, the mower stately, king of all the garden race, and his queen, the water sprinkler, tall and slender, full of grace. But as shy and quickly startled as a fawn, Thus in order as directed, none were otherwise detected, on they moved to meet the queen on the spacious, trim, and flower-surrounded lawn. And not least among the party were the mower's henchmen hearty, all the tools which he rules with a blade both swift and keen rake and hoe and pick and shovel, fork and spade and knife and can, hammer, saw and sieve and level, nails and screws, all spick and span, cicators and shears and spanner, nuts and bolts and augers fine, each according to its manner, rule and rod, and folded line. In the gold-green garden barrow, on whose forefront perched a sparrow, bobbled along on shaky legs. Then there came the refuse bin, on whose lid of rusty tin danced a group of clothes pegs. After these the yard broom strode, gruff and grim with seeming ire, and from his dark abode rolled a coil of fencing wire. 
Then emerged the steps astriding, on their top a cat was riding, tail erect and back all arched, right behind its white face gleaming, from behind its banner streaming, bravely on the flagpole marched. And not wishing to be listed from a gathering so strange, came the scythe all bent and twisted, with the axe well out of range. Other things were there in dozens, little folk, the garden cousins, such as round the lattice play, snails and slugs and red-spot spiders, thrifty ants, those rare providers, and the slaters clothed in gray. Churchmen, too, the green-robed mantis, praying for the lost Atlantis, or at least they seemed to be, lawyers clad in black and white, magpies properly bedight, and the lark of minstrelsy. Parrot politicians, too, talking, talking as they do of the scarcity of corn when the spring lambs should be shorn. What would happen without rain? Would the farmers sow again? But by far the rarest sight of that wondrous autumn night were three lovely kittens white, who within a basket sleeping, as twas thought in safest keeping, woke to find that all undone, their pink ribbons, one by one, had been knotted to their basket, tightly as a sailor's gasket. And, as if by magic brought, the basket to a carriage wrought. Twas all so very, very queer. No kitten outside fairyland could ever, ever understand what made the basket disappear, and in the twinkling of a star be turned into a basket car. But a bright-eyed little mouse, watching from within the house, saw exactly what took place. Four brown spiders spun the wheels, round about four cotton reels. Two red robins wove the hood, out of grass and chips of wood. Two jays built the driver's place, jutting from the basket's face. Two blue wrens, so spry and neat, fixed behind a dicky seat. For the lamps, two glowworms bright, shed their luster on the night. Two woodpeckers made the pole, from a slender wattle hole. Then the basket car to draw, four white gulls in ropes of straw, to the carriage firmly tied, with each other proudly vied, as they paced along. A whip-bird drove the willing team, by the starlight's silver gleam, at his side a soldier ant, sort of footman adjutant. 
carefree quite of war's alarms, sat with loosely folded arms. Four more soldier ants beside lent an air of splendid pride to the kittens shy inside. Two to ride postillion-wise, two to guard and supervise from the seat behind. Thus to meet the queen they fared, nothing wanting, nothing spared, to please the eye and mind. But before they reached the queen, there was quite a little scene that a temporary stoppage did entail, for with not a warning note from the rosary remote came a sound that made the anxious marshal quail. It was due to some field crickets who, on coming through the pickets, had been told to be quite ready to play something soft and steady when Her Majesty the Moon, who conferred on them the boon, should come forth to meet her guests upon the lawn. But the band, at its stand, should have waited the command to begin the music mystic with its summer strain artistic, ere it broke at a stroke into tunings that the sleeping echoes woke. So the worried martial spider sent a swallow scout outrider with most mandatory orders to retire behind the borders and await the time propitious to begin the strain ambitious, which should tell in martial bars that the queen and court of stars with attendant satellites and the page-boy stellar sprites were in waiting on the lawn, on the smooth and spacious lawn. When the episode was ended, and a like mistake forfended, forward went the line extended down the carriage drive. Turning where the beds give entry, past a robin redbreast sentry, without haste, as do the gentry, on the lawn did they arrive. And the moon, that moment walking, with her starry daughters talking, from the summer house came forth. On the instant came the crashing of the cricket music dashing, swift as pallid lightning flashing from the far-off somber north. Stood aside the heralds then, stepped behind attendants ten, and the mower and his lady met the queen. What a scene! Surely ne'er before was seen so much majesty serene, so much graciousness and light, as graced the lawn that autumn night. For as each may do obeisance with polite and sweet complacence, and passed on into scattered knots and groups, into merry little troops they fell,
and the swell of the mingled conversations and the witty observations, the soft requests and whispered jests with the laughter that came after, to the queen and all her court was music rare. And the supper fine that followed, oh, what quantities they swallowed, of the dainties and the delicacies rare. Black ant's milk and box tree honey, manna flakes, the shapes of money, all the richest kinds of berries, currants, bush grapes, and wild cherries, grains and seeds and sugar beet, such as field birds love to eat, dew in cups the gum trees make for their lovely blossom's sake. These and other things galore that the ants and spiders store. Every sort of tasty dish such fastidious folk could wish ne'er before was served such fare, full and plenty and to spare. Supper over, oh, what fun, was upon the lawn begun. Dances, jigs, and turkey trots, round about forget-me-nots, whose sweet eyes of tender blue with amazement changed their hue when a hammer and a spanner underneath the queen's own banner in a rather awkward manner danced a sort of highland fling. And a lanky adjutant with the red-legged crane, his aunt, wrinkled his eye and said, I can't say I like this kind of thing. But the augurs, straight and strong, with their own peculiar song, drowned his voice their chords among as they sang, Come along, O come along, join the happy, gladsome throng, games that everyone can play, now's your chance, so come away, ring a rosy, twos and threes, which the bees mid the trees played with such consummate ease that the ladybirds they chased tripped and stumbled as they raced, quite outpaced by those honey-hunter bees. And the sly and subtle chaffing of the lovers who since quaffing each the other's health had by stealth sought out places where they might woo delight, free from all the taunting's light of the merrymakers bright. But of course, no resource of the sweethearts could perforce any sort of quietude enforce. So they had to just submit to the things that stung or hit, as do lovers everywhere. Here and there, amid the crowd, could be seen the elegant or proud, whilst some, alas, 
but let that pass, were what is known as loud. The rake and hoe, a wicked pair, night bachelors are they, with easy style, true debonair, went strolling mid the ladies fair, the gayest of the gay. The spade went prinking round the lawn, Miss Shears was on his arm. The hayfork pitched about till dawn, forgetful of the farm. The fern tubs frowned upon the scene, the lattice glared its grief. But bulbs and pots, though quite serene, displayed a sad belief that all this freakish capering must bring its own relief. And so it chanced. For with scarce a warning sound, straightly stepping o'er the ground where the fence was broken found, came the bush folk forth to greet the queen. From the forest they came ranging, all in order, never changing, in a stream across the paddock's green. At their head, twelve ibis slender, hid from view a kind of tender, borne upon the backs of iguanas strong. This first strewn with wild clover was with bush flowers covered over, one fair bloom for every member of the throng. These, as tribute, were intended for the moon queen, great and splendid, whom to honor and to serve, without question or reserve, was a duty that they loved to pay. And their sacred emblem flowers, choicest of the forest dowers, were their gracious queen to show that among her folk below, nothing could their true allegiance sway. Thus enhanced through the garden they advanced, making for the lawn. On they came, the emus stately, proudly, quietly, sedately, followed by the herons fine, wombats, wallabies, and dingoes, gray companion flamingoes, Keats and lorries line on line, woolly bears and possums gray, singing birds and birds of prey, platypuses, blue-tongued lizards, mallyhens and bowerbird wizards, hiding all they find away, cockatoos white, black, and pink, kestrels, kites, and shrikes, and bats, flying foxes, native cats, plovers from the marsh's brink, kangaroos like tall men walking, cassowaries gravely stalking, falcons black, and wedge-tailed eagles, strongest of the feathered beagles, and the egrets all too rare blue-necked storks with wings so spacious, lyre-birds beautiful and gracious, and the magpie-lark so spare. Honey-eaters, red-capped robins, in and out like fiery bobbins, 
wrens of every sort and hue, and the great kingfisher blue, whip birds, rails, and orioles, bronze wing pigeons, pratt and coals, every austral bird of note, from the owl to pardalote, soarers, perchers, coursers, waders, like an army of invaders, on they came towards the lawn, the spacious, cool, green lawn. Presently, as they drew nearer, forms and faces growing clearer, silence fell like a spell on the guests who just before had not dreamed there was in store a sight so passing strange. Even the queen herself t'was plain, looked for someone to explain at and on whose word they came. But as soon as on the lawn the new arrivals were all drawn, forward stepped a cockatoo, in his milk-white plumage new, and in accents somewhat high, said they thus had ventured nigh, that they might their homage yield to the sovereign and the shield, for whose sake they'd gladly die. Then without undue premise, like a statesman very wise, craved the queen's most sweet permission to present without omission all the several little groups that in eager, anxious troops waited on her word. And the queen, it was seen, smiled so gracious a consent that they all with one intent, as in passing down they bent, flung their flowers about her feet, ringed her round with posies sweet. This fair ceremony ended, everyone who there attended, as their way about they wended, met and fraternized. Filling out the pleasure's light of that most historic night. Thus, as in a lover's passion, passed the time in wondrous fashion, full of such excitements new, that the moments simply flew, on and on towards the dawn. Then, ere the sun had begun to ope its golden portals, or awake were sleepy mortals, all by common impulse moved, turned towards the queen they loved, and bending low gave salutation. Yet ere moving finally away, farewell, a fair farewell to each, they say, resolved through work or play to keep that night of nights like some green growing thing, the symbol of eternal spring, in sweet and fondest memory for I. And the moon and starry court, that the wonderment had wrought, faded slowly out of sight, 
in a blaze of newer light, so strong and bright that it swept away the night and to the wakened world a new day brought. Good night.